Hello and welcome to the Eco Chamber, a podcast on all things environmental journalism brought to you by the investigative team of reporters at Ends Report. I'm James Adjapong Parsons. In this week's episode, we'll be covering the Rule Bill and fact-checking the latest news that the government is in retreat. We'll be talking about the 56th gamekeeper of Scotland found guilty of raptor persecution and the Environment Agency's new interim chief executive. Who is he and what does he know? And for our deep dive this week, we'll be taking a smelly plunge into the world of sewage pollution and the government's plan to tackle it. So without further ado, let's enter the Eco Chamber. To help us get to the bottom of this week's environmental news, I'm joined by ENDS Report's news editor, Pippa Neal. Pippa, over the weekend it was reported that the government has put the brakes on its controversial rule bill. Is that true? Well, at the moment it's not quite clear exactly what is happening. But so the bill's House of Lords committee stage ended last month and the law should the legislation should now move to the report stage. But last week, the bill was actually removed from the House of Lords forthcoming business with the, an article in The Observer on Sunday stating that it had been delayed indefinitely. Um, the paper said that the government has dropped the plans to hold the report stage to prevent a row in the run-up to local elections um, in, on the 4th of May and to allow it to consider a list of likely concessions. So, yeah, it's not quite clear exactly what this means, that um, they've kind of paused it. Um, and when ENDS contacted um, government to ask for clarity, they said it's not unusual for there to be adjust- adjustments to the scheduling of parliamentary business and said we are fully committed to the retained EU law bill um, and said it's a key part of delivering our commitment to removing burdensome retained EU law. Right. So they're trying to play it down a little bit. Yeah. Why is this bill so controversial? So the retained EU EU law bill, if passed as currently formed, would give the government the power to revoke and repeal laws carried over into domestic legislation following Brexit and would make it easier for ministers to amend and replace EU law through secondary legislation, which avoids parliamentary scrutiny. Um, And the bill also seeks to introduce a sunset clause of December 2023, by which all EU-derived legislation and retained direct EU law would expire, would drop off the cliff edge. Um, And environmental groups claim that, you know, this risks undermining existing levels of protection for the environment, um, with the RSPB accusing the government of launching an attack on nature. Um, and we've talked about in the past, but a lot of retained EU law falls under DEFRA's remit. So it's a kind of huge swathes of environmental law that could just drop off the statute. But This is but, thousands of pieces of legislation yeah. that they're trying to deal with. What do the House of Lords think of it then? So during the, um, the bill's second reading, Lord Heseltine said the bill created a giant question mark over a whole realm of regulations that are custodian that separates us from the law of the jungle. And he said, um, and this is a quote now, I beg noble lords not to let this legislation leave this place unscathed. So that's kind of an indication of, you know, the... Sabres at the ready. Yeah, exactly. The kind of interesting journey the bill's had so so far. Um, and in the Observer article, which states that the, the bill is being paused indefinitely, um, a Tory peer with an unknown source, is quoted stating that the penny is dropped with number 10 and that there's a recognition that unless they make concessions, they'll be causing legal chaos on many fronts, all for the sake of Jacob Rees-Mogg's kind of crazy Brexit promises. Right, on to the Environment Agency and the regulator's new temporary leader, John Curtin, who has taken the helm at the watchdog after Sir James Bevan stood down at the end of last month. 
In July, we know that Philip Duffy will formally replace him as the agency's new permanent chief exec. But until then, what about the new interim head? Pippa, is Curtin green to the EA or is he part of that old guard? So Curtin actually joined the Environment Agency when it was formed back in 1996 um, and since then has worked in a variety of roles within the agency. So he was previously Executive Director of Local Operations, Executive Director of Flood and Coastal Risk Management um, and a range of different roles. Um, And prior to this, he worked for the National Rivers Authority, working in water resource planning and flood forecast modelling before the body was then absorbed into the Environment Agency. That's decades, decades of Mm. EA. My contribution to this discussion is that I know that Curtin is a Leamington football club fan. (laughs) Um, What else do we know about him? So he has a degree in environmental science from the University of Lancaster. Um, And he also sits on the trustee board of the Chartered Institute of Water and Environmental Management. Um, and is also a non-executive director of the Construction Industry Research and Information Association. Um, That's all a bit of a mouthful, but basically he's got a wide range of expertise and background in environmental issues and specifically around water. And he's he's an award winner, isn't he? Yeah. So in 2020, he was actually awarded the President's Prize by the British Hydrological Society, Um, And the society has said that he was given this award for his visionary and inspirational contribution to the groundbreaking national flood and coastal erosion risk management strategy for England. Um, Another mouthful. Um, So, yeah, he's done a lot of great work in this space. And and I know that part of that strategy actually helped inform its current six year investment program, Mm. um, which the EA has said that with the £5.2 billion they're getting for for the six years of which we're currently sitting in, um, that's going to better protect 300,000 plus homes and through 2,000 new flood defence schemes. So a big deal and a big contribution. Yeah, I think it is really interesting that Curtin does have so much experience, like being in the Environment Agency since it since it launched. So much like experience, a degree in environmental science, because um, the new full time chief executive Philip Duffy doesn't seem to have quite so much experience. Um, He was formerly the head of growth at the Treasury, and to my knowledge, doesn't seem to have much experience or background in environmental issues. So it's quite two quite different people. Um, Obviously, um, John Curtin will only be doing this role for, you know, a few months, but yeah, interesting either way. And then to finish our weekly news roundup, we're flying up to Scotland to discuss illegal raptor persecution and the conviction of a gamekeeper employed on a Scottish estate. Pippa, what's the story here? So this is a story about the latest example of raptor persecution and following that successful prosecution. Um, So on the 31st of March, I think it is, Rory Parker, who is a gamekeeper at the Moy Estate in the Highlands, pleaded guilty to shooting a Eurasian sparrowhawk um, at the Inverness Sheriff Court. Um, And all birds of prey are protected under the Wildlife and Countryside Act 1981, and so killing one is punishable by an unlimited fine and or jail. And it's quite interesting, this conviction was secured after the incident was filmed by the RSPB Scotland investigations team, um, with with footage reportedly showing the bird circling overhead before a gun is raised by the gamekeeper and the bird is shot shot out of the sky. Um, And a search following this led by Police Scotland um, of um, Rory Parker's address and land on the estate took place in September when Parker was then arrested and interviewed. 
And I mean, these birds are so beautiful. Like the the male sparrowhawk has that kind of orange chocolatey brown chest and those beautiful blue feathers. And they're just, they're so adept at, at sort of finding and flying through dense woodland to capture their prey. It's, I don't know. It, it just seems such a, well, like you say, it's illegal. Mm. It's illegal. And so you said there was an unlimited fine under the Wildlife and Countryside Act, potentially. Mm-hmm. What was the fine in this case? So in this case, um, the gamekeeper was fined just £1,500. So yeah, not too much. (laughs) And he is the 56th gamekeeper to be convicted of raptor persecution offences in Scotland over about three decades of recording. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I, I looked at some of the numbers and I saw that as, as taking 2021, which is the late, latest data that the RSPB have of confirmed raptor persecutions, there was something like 108. And we're, we're saying that, that we're saying that Parker was the 56th over 30 years who was convicted. There's a, there's a massive discrepancy there mm. between those who, I guess, who are brought to justice for these crimes and the crimes that go on unpunished mm. what's what's the scottish government trying to do to to deal with this sort of illegal raptor persecution problem yeah so interestingly last month the wildlife management and muirburn bill which is intended to address raptor persecution was introduced in the scottish parliament um, and if implemented in full the first part of this bill will establish a licensing system for land on which the killing or taking of certain birds can take place as well as a new licensing system for the use of certain wildlife traps um, and the second part of the bill focuses on the management of grouse moors including muirburn um, which is the burning of moors to promote the fresh growth of heather for grouse to eat. And a new licensing regime would be rolled out across all of Scotland. The Scottish government is taking action on this and it will be interesting to see kind of as this bill progresses. But yeah, there's definitely yeah, that change. Is a, and that is an enormous change. Like, should mm. it go through, like you say, the whole of Scotland from a previously fairly unregulated regime? And not everyone is happy about that, right? Mm. Um, have you heard from some of the voices in, the, in different spaces, what they're saying? Yeah, so Sarah-Jane Lang, who's the chief executive of the Scottish Land and Estates, described the bill as being a legislative sledgehammer to a community which delivers substantial social, economic, environmental and conservation benefits. So, you know, unsurprisingly, um, representing that group, she's kind of not happy about, about this new bill. However, others have welcomed the news. Um, in a blog post, Dr. Ruth Tingay, who um, writes the Raptor Persecution UK blog, said that the game shooting industry is seething, probably because the penny has dropped that the game is finally up. So, you know, I think they really see this as kind of finally putting a, you know, a stop to this kind of persecution. Lots of pennies being dropped in this podcast yeah. <laughs> episode. And if you'd like to hear more about any of the big green news stories we've been chatting about today, uh, please head over to our website, endsreport.com. So now onto our deep dive section. For this week's Eco Chamber, ENDS investigative journalist Shosha Aidy is speaking to us about some seriously stinking news, raw sewage spilling into our rivers and the government's plans to sort it out. So the really disheartening news this week is that we now know that more than a million hours of sewage spilled into England's rivers last year. So Shosha, can you just tell us some of the headline figures? Yeah, so storm overflows in England discharged untreated sewage into rivers and the sea 300,000 times in 2022, roughly, um, for around a total of 1,754,000 
thousand hours which is the equivalent of roughly 200 years so that is a lot of sewage entering the waterways and amazingly this is somehow an improvement on last year isn't it it is yeah um so there's been a 19 percent reduction in the number of sewage spills and a 34 percent reduction in the number of hours that sewage spilled for um, so yeah, a significant reduction, but it's still not really where we want it to be. So this this data covers the 10 water and sewage companies um, across England. Um, we've got that data for the last three years because of this event duration monitors. What's quite interesting is what we don't know is the volume of untreated mm. sewage. And yet we do know that some treatment works around the country are monitoring this monthly. So it'd be interesting to see what those volume, what that volume is in the future. Yeah, definitely. And I think what was also interesting about the results is the fact that um, not all of the storm overflows currently have these event duration monitors. So I think there's 91% coverage now, which is better than 10 years ago, for example, when I think it was something like 17%, um, but it's still not yet 100%. And also more storm overflows were actually reported by water companies as existing um, this year. So there was like 110 that were added um, to, to those that are in use and we didn't have those numbers last year. So yeah, the data's getting more complete for sure. So the data's becoming more robust and the sewage pollution figures are going down. Mm. Is that because the water companies are doing better? Well, I think this was the sort of spin that was put on it, but the Environment Agency have actually come out and said that no, the improvements are mainly just due to having drier weather last year, um, so there was less rainwater. So this is a point to pick up on, because um, in a blog post, the agency has written that last year, water companies only made improvements to 65 storm overflows, which is less than 0.5% of the overall total in the entire system. Um, and they said they are very confident that water company actions had not significantly contributed to the reduction overall. And for them to claim so is willfully misleading. So right. a bit of a turn in the tides on on actually EA messaging on um, water company actions here, which will be an interesting one to look out for. So the government's got this uh, plan to deal with sewage pollution. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So the integrated plan for water um, consolidates a lot of what we already know. Um, but there have been some new updates. And I think what was kind of teased before the main announcement was this idea of raising the current cap on variable monetary penalties to an unlimited fine for water companies. So the current cap is 250000 There was talk under the former environmental secretary, Ranil Jayawardena, um, to raise this to 250000000 million pounds. Um, and the EA... Chair Alan um, Lovell was like, this is crazy. But now, you know, they're consulting on potentially, you know, the sky's the limit. So, um, so not so crazy. Not so crazy, perhaps. Not so crazy. Um, Although what like a major barrier before this can even be useful is the fact that this will need to expand um, for a wider range of environmental offences because currently no water company has been prosecuted under it. It's been used for like fishing offences, um, for example. Which was a big stumbling block for Renil, wasn't it? Because I remember when when that announcement came out, ENDS did some analysis which showed that 
this mechanism hadn't been levied against the water company mm, exactly. because what you're saying it, that doesn't violate the environmental offences under the current permits. Yes, so it couldn't really be used against the the water companies, which is the whole point, I think. Yeah, right. but the government wants to change that now. The government wants to change it, and it's it's the consultation I believe is open. So it'll be interesting to see what's come what comes out of that. And it wasn't just sewage pollution the plan dealt with, was it? There were other issues around water quality that you looked at? Yes. Um, so a raft of new funding measures were announced. Um, I say new, but actually a lot of them have been previously announced. They're just, you know, all sandwiched together. Oh, nice, money. neat package. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but for example, the government has set to increase the Environment Agency's enforcement capacity by increasing the budget by an extra £2 million per year, roughly. Um, for context, the budget for the EA in 2021 to 2022 was 1.8 billion. Um, right, drop in the ocean. Drop in the ocean. Um, and under new plan, uh, fines that are levied from water companies um, will be reinvested into a water restoration fund instead of going to the treasury. Sounds um, interesting. Which you know could be a potential huge money maker, considering you know some of the fines, for example, that Southern Water one. Um, 90 million pounds you know that could be a good source of funds um Offworts going to have some new powers under the environment act to change water company license conditions without consent um, and link water company dividend payments to environmental performance so rather than taking from customers bills for example um they will be taking from shareholder profits which should be more of an incentive mm. um and then the other element is this 1.6 billion in investment um, by water companies into water infrastructure that's going to be accelerated, basically. Um, and actually, United Utilities, which was the water company which saw the most spills and have done consistently for the past three years, um, their their investment makes up the bulk of this. So they've they're going to give. 800 million pounds um, into reducing sewage discharges in Lake Windermere. Right. So, so what? So half of the money is going to United Utilities, essentially. Well, it's more United Utilities will be paying this out. It's not government money, but more water company. Um, right, have, right, right. Water companies have committed this, um, and that will reduce spills by 8,000, I think. So the Every funding year. sounds great. 8,000 annually, yeah. It sounds great, but this money is only really going to fix a very small fraction um, of the storm overflows. For example, they've said 250 storm overflows um, will be improved through this. That's just 1.7% of the storm overflows in the country. Um, And they've said the plans will reduce the spills by 10,000 per year. That's a 3% reduction on this year, you know. So we really are talking about important changes, but a drop in the ocean. And it's not just water companies that sort of need to bear the brunt of our problems when it comes to water pollution in our rivers. Uh, farmers are also guilty at times um, for polluting our watercourses. There was some some funding put towards farmers in this in this plan is that right yeah yeah there were some measures um included in there um including doubling the funding for catchment sensitive farming programs to 15 million um to cover all the farmland in england 
they've doubled the first round of the Slurry Infrastructure Grant to 34 million um, with further rounds to be launched um, later this year. Um, and there's, there's quite a few measures in there today. <laughs> I think listing them all now might be might be a bit much, but yeah, we've I think we've talked about this more on the, the ENDS website too. And what about the the issues when it comes to chemical pollution? What were your key take homes from the government's plan? Yeah, so this was actually I felt perhaps I'm a bit biased here, being the chemicals being more of my beat. But um, the new announcements from this plan is they're going to start developing a restriction proposal on PFAS in firefighting foams by the end of this year potentially. And what is PFAS for those listening? PFAS, ooh, they're sort of like a group of over 10,000 chemicals that are very persistent in the environment because they're so hard to break down and they're in loads of consumer products as well, um, from like your makeup to nonstick pans, for instance. And some of them are carcinogenic and endocrine disruptors, is that right? That's true. There's lots of um, nasty, <laughs> nasty things related to PFAS. Um, and actually, the health and safety executive published their sort of risk analysis of PFAS at the same time as this report came out. Um, but they've decided to focus on firefighting foams for now. Um, in particular, um, PFOS, which if you know much about the 2005 Buntsville disaster, you know, that's, that is a significant one and it does affect the chemical status of waters as well. So in terms of, you know, these mountains to climb, it is, it's a good one to start at. Um, but as Julie Schneider, who's a PFAS campaigner at ChemTrust did say, um, the plans for PFAS do fall short of, of what's going on in Europe at the moment. I mean, they're talking about a blanket ban and we're not at the moment. So the government's trying to deal with some elements of PFAS, the firefighting foams. Why is that? Um, I think it's it's because these are quite persistent um, in, in rivers and under the Water Framework Directive, which is this retained EU legislation, um, our rivers are failing to meet good chemical health. And this is one of the chemicals that we're consistently failing on sort of across the board. So if they tackle this, then that will spell good things, I think, for the overall river chemical health. And this has been a big topic because headlines were made when they revealed we're not looking at a good chemical health status until sort of 2063. Wow. Um, because of some of these more persistent chemicals that do take a while to naturally break down in the environment. But action hasn't perhaps been as fast as it could have been either. So it's a really, really complex, complex issue we'll be talking about and at ends, I think, for the next couple of months at least. <laughs> and it's quite amazing because I know there is that good ecological figure of the health of Inga's Riddle, which I think is 14%. But if you look at it, the chemical status, there isn't a single river in England that can get a clean bill of health signed off by the EA because it fails in its chemical status, which mm. I think is mind-blowing. And mm. you're saying 2063 is the potential date at, at present, unless we take action, to reduce that. Mm. Um, and there, there is also, finally, there is also a, an insecticide. Is that right? They want to try and deal with something called cypermethrin? Yeah. So part of this is also bringing forward this um, deadline for reducing chemicals in wastewater, which is separate. It's something that's tackled under their WINAP plans without 
getting bogged down too much in the details alongside PFOS is this, yeah, cypermethrin, um, which is a synthetic pyrethroid insecticide um, used to control a range of pests in arable and livestock farming. It's one of those that impacts the nervous system of insects. And so one of those that it's always going to be a bit um, worrying. Good if you want to deal with a certain pest, but I'm sure it, there's yeah. other insects that will obviously be part of the bycatch, if that's the right word. Exactly. So it's it's good that this is in the plans. Um, and I think the deadline currently is 2030, and I think you're bringing this forward to 2027. And this is something that we've worked out by speaking to DEFRA directly and um, in a, a press call that they held before the plans were announced. So more details will hopefully come out about this soon. And finally, no podcast on water pollution would be complete unless we talked about wet wipes. <laughs> uh, the government has announced something about wet wipes, hasn't it, Shosha? It has. The wet wipe in the room. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the plan to tackle microplastics. Um as even biodegradable wet wipes can contribute to this issue. But yes, it was first announced really in 2018 under Theresa May's government. Um, and she's pledged to eradicate all avoidable plastic waste by 2042. Wet wipes were part of this um, and they're going to bring forward that deadline. Now, two decades is a pretty big stretch of time. They haven't said that when they're bringing it forward to. So even if it's one decade in the future, you know, that's bringing it forward. So We'll have to wait for some more news on that. But yeah, it's definitely one to tackle. I mean, Water UK found that wet wipes make up 93% of the material that's causing sewage blockages. Um, so as well as this plastic issue, you know, it's causing sewer problems too. And it's, it is amazing just how much plastic is in those wet wipes and how everything is so interlinked from how our plastic pollution and waste is tied to our sewage pollution um, and our rivers and and just the general health of our ecosystems. It's, it's really quite fascinating and worrying at the same time. Yeah, I think that would be a good, a good way to, to put it. <laughs> Thank you, Shosha, for taking us through that uh, stinky deep dive this week. If you want to know any more about this subject, please go over to our website, endsreport.com for Shosha's analyses, our maps and our trackers. And that's it. On today's episode, we've learned that the rule of hard Brexit laws may be a little bit too daunting, even for the government itself, that the new head of the EA will be making sure there's no Lemmington-owned goals before making way for the new manager in July, that rat to persecution is still flying high in Scotland, and that water companies can still discharge mind-blowing amounts of sewage into our rivers and celebrate a win. My thanks to Pippa Neal and Shosha Aidy for delving into this week's Big Green News and Analysis. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the readers of Ends Report, whose subscriptions ensure that important investigative journalism about the UK's natural environment actually takes place. We'd really love to hear from you listeners with your thoughts, views and opinions. So you can reach us by emailing ecochamber at haymarket.com or on Twitter using the hashtag ecochamber. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and maybe even share it with a friend. Until the next time, see ya.